0: All right. There we go. All right. I could project if I wanted to. So, well, welcome to uh, the worship of our great God here at Redeemer OPC. If you're visiting with us tonight, we're so glad that you're here uh, to be a part of this service as we offer praise uh, to our risen and reigning uh, King Jesus Christ. Uh, We want to warmly welcome you as well to uh, the the meal that takes place after this service. Uh, It's a wonderful time for us to get to know you. Uh, and spend some time fellowshipping uh, around a delicious meal. If you didn't bring anything, please feel free to, to stick around. We, w- we would love to have you here. Uh, that's all uh, that I'd like to announce tonight. And so as we draw near to our God uh, to offer worship to Him, uh, we're reminded from Revelation chapter 5 of what the, what the angels and the saints in heaven right now are even doing as they behold by sight, what we look to by faith and looking to our Savior Jesus Christ. There we read, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. This is the Jesus that we come to worship this evening. Let's, let's now stand and sing to angels we have heard on high. Let's go to God in prayer. Our merciful and gracious God, from eternity past, you you planned the sending of your Son to accomplish redemption for your people. And Lord, at the very right time, He came. He came to shine a light in the darkness. He came to see many sons come to glory. He came to ransom a people, a precious possession for you. He came to bring you glory. And so we join with the saints of old and and with the angels in heaven even tonight in declaring glory to you. Glory in the highest. From the highest of heavens to the depths of the earth, Lord, you are glorious and are worthy of praise. You deserve all blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And so, Lord, we rejoice to know you and to offer this worship to you this evening. We pray that, that through your Spirit, that we would be strengthened in our inner person, that we might offer you the worship that you deserve. And, and Lord, that you would guide us deeper in your truth, that we would behold Christ in all his glory Lord, we pray these things in his name. Amen. Let's continue to worship with crown him. Be seated. We're going to read Revelations 12 1 and 2, 5 through 6a. And a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and under her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. She gave birth to a male child one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared
1: by God.
2: All right, tonight's missions prayer is for Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Um, Jim Clayton passed along these prayer requests to me um, to pray tonight. These are from uh, John Curry and Jerry Timmis. So I know of two familiar faces, to folks at Redeemer here. So I'm going to read the following requests and we'll lift them up to the Lord. First, they've shared um, West, the prayer that Westminster Seminary... First, give thanks to God for the godly and growing men of God who are presently in the program. Secondly, please also ask God to equip these men with the biblical character, convictions, and competencies which the church needs them to have in order to be pastors for this generation. And thirdly, ask God to send Westminster Seminary all the men he would entrust to us to train for service to the cause of Christ and for him to keep the seminary faithful faithful and its stewardship of his truth as it passes it on to the next generation of faithful men who will teach others also. And lastly, please pray that Westminster Theological would send its students out in a manner worthy of God, 3 John 6, referenced here, equipped and debt-free through scholarships, and that Redeemer would be blessed for its part in having accompanied this objective. So let's lift these requests up to the Lord. Father in heaven, we pray to you tonight and lift up these requests from Westminster Theological Seminary. We thank you for the faithful study, teaching, and preaching of your word that occurs inside the seminary. We pray this would continue. We thank you for the faithful professors who daily train and equip these men through your word to faithfully proclaim your truth to their congregations and the world. We ask for strength and endurance for the staff and students alike, that you would continue to be diligent in their work, that they would be continue to be diligent in their work and study so that they may go out and make many disciples in your name. We ask all these things in your son's name alone. Amen.
3: Please join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Gracious and loving Lord, we come before you this evening with hearts full of adoration for you and to bring before you our praise and thanks for all of your wondrous deeds to us, your people. We are mindful of our lowly state and are thankful that you have condescended to us and that you hear our prayers. We thank you for this body of believers and for all of the believers around the world that worship you in spirit and in truth, and proclaim your name without fear. We ask that in a world full of darkness, division, war, and attacks, that we may be a light in it. From our homes, or our workplaces, or our areas of activity, we ask, Lord, that you use us wherever we can further your kingdom. We thank you for the care you give us and how you have supplied our every need. We praise you for the comfort you give us when we are hurting. We thank you for our families and for those you have placed around us who love us even when we feel we don't deserve it. We thank you for the examples of love they extend to us and we praise you for putting them into our lives. We thank you also for this season where we can celebrate your birth, even though the world has taken your birth and has tried to turn it into meaning something else. We ask, Lord, that our words and actions be an example to those around us, that this season is a reminder of the miraculous birth of our Savior, and that you were born to take away the sin of the world, and that the free gift of salvation through you is offered. We thank you for health, and we pray for continued health and strength during a time of year when sickness is abundant. We bring before you uh, with thankful hearts and praise you for the birth of uh, Joelle to Tom and Emily Paw, and Carter, and pray for their continued health and strength. We bring before you those who are sick, infirmed, and battling sicknesses, and we pray for your healing upon them. We ask, Lord, for a blessing upon this offering and that it may be a blessing upon your church. Please give wisdom to those in charge of stewarding these gifts, and we ask that these gifts may be used to further your kingdom. Please be with your servant, Pastor Jeff, this evening as he brings us your word. Open our ears to hear and open our hearts to have these seeds firmly planted in them. Lord, we know that you hear our prayers, and we trust, believe, and are thankful that you answer prayer from your people. In your glorious name do we bring this prayer. Amen.
4: This morning we read from Luke chapter 2, if you were here, in that chapter, from verses 22 and following, we have the account of Simeon and his response to the arrival of Jesus at the temple. Tonight, I want to continue that with a few verses, only three verses from the end of that same section, a portion that talks about the response of a prophetess, Anna. This is from Luke chapter 2 beginning at verse 36 and reading through verse 38. This is what Luke says. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Sometimes when I begin sermons or at some portion in the sermon, I'll say, now this is for those of you who are younger. Tonight I start my sermon by saying, this is for those of you who are older and the rest of you have the privilege of listening along. The fact of the matter is that some of you who are older are not going to make it until next Christmas. I don't mean to bring, as they might say, a giant snowstorm on the happy occasion tonight, only to say that that's the reality of life. You're here today, you might not make it to next year. Statistics will tell you that the majority of people who pass away have a rather extended period of knowing that will happen. You hear about car accidents or a sudden heart attack or a stroke and think, well, that's a large percentage of people. Less than 6% of all people die suddenly. Most have a long, extended period in which they know their life is coming to an end. And I remember very clearly a man named Curtis, when I had recently begun ministry, who invited me to come to his home because he said, Pastor, I want you to be able to tell people after I die something about me. I want you to tell them about my legacy. And specifically, he wanted me to note to people, he did not imagine it would be you tonight, but I'm going to tell you all the same, that his legacy and the legacy of those who are older, which would include also eventually those of us who are younger, of course, Is that the greatest response we might have to the news of Christmas is the legacy of contentment in Christ? I want to tell you that tonight, just in a short time, and I want to give you something to start with to think about that may seem a little bit not quite what you expect, and that is I want to give you two options that you might by default consider to be the places you would find your contentment. And then I want to give you the contentment that is found in Anna the prophetess here in our section from Luke chapter 2. Over this past week, I read a truly remarkable account about a home that was for sale. I like architecture. And somehow Google has figured out I do. And so I have architectural things that pop up on my newsfeed on Google. This was about a glorious house on a beautiful lake. A remarkable couple was selling this house. They had bought the property of many acres when there was only a small house there. And after they accumulated some wealth, they decided to tear down that house and to build, as they said, the home of their dreams. I could go a little bit further and say I'm guessing it was not only the home of their dreams, it would be the home of many people's dreams. I won't tell you how many square feet and how much it costs, only to say, imagine in your mind a truly impressive house with many rooms, very high ceilings, right in the edge of a lake, looking out, I imagine, into the sunset. It would be what I would imagine as the house of my dreams. But the story I read was not about the architecture of that home. It was about this. They were selling the house. And the reason they were selling the house is because the husband had begun experiencing a debilitating disease. His grandmother had had it, his mother had it, his brother had it, now he did as well. And no matter how wonderful and beautiful this home was, he and his wife had come to the conclusion it would be a short time and he would not be able to use the vast majority of this home. And so no matter how much money they had invested in this house... And no matter how much they made from the sale of this truly impressive home, they would not buy a healthy future for him. I want you to imagine with me that you were a guest in this home sometime prior, in years before. They've given you a tour of this home, and you had a wonderful dinner. And on the way home, I can imagine you saying to your spouse, those people have it all. only it wasn't true, and it's not true. One of the things that we may be led to believe, because we live in a very prosperous time, and many of us simply are able to buy what we want, if not everything we want, many of the things that we want, is that we come to the conclusion that we will be most content when we have what our heart desires. But it didn't work for this couple. And if you're older, I will tell you, that if your hope for the future, if your are thought of what will give you contentment, even if you're very young and you imagine to yourself, how will I find contentment? If you're looking that for that contentment in something like this house or something like it, you're not going to find it. No less an authority of Warren Buffett, as you know, has decided to give somewhere in the range of 95% of his wealth plus And in an interview with Fortune Magazine, he said the reason he was giving it all away was because he believed that if he gave it to his children, it would ruin their lives. A fulfilled life, my friend, contentment is never going to be found in what you own. It is trying to put what is in creation into the place of something that creation will never meet. So let me give you another option. It's not in what you possess. Perhaps it is in what others estimate you to be. Now you might think to yourself, I'm not sure that that fits with me, so let me try to persuade you. In fact, I would guess that this way of viewing our estimation of ourselves and our contentment is way more persuasive to our hearts than even how much we possess. And some of that is because most of us would not consider ourselves truly wealthy. But all of us will measure ourselves through the lens of what other people think. And I would guess that that is true also for your heart often. It is true also for how we think people will remember us. And therefore, it has a large role to play in how much contentment We will feel. Again, it has become not unusual at all for an older member of a church that I have pastored. In fact, some of you who are here tonight have had this conversation with me. Pastor, I can see the time of my life in this world is coming closer to the end. I'd really like to sit down and talk through what you say to people when they come to my funeral. For many of those that we talk to and about... The reason they want me to hear their story is because they say, I want people to hear about my faith in Jesus. You can't believe how encouraging that is to me as a pastor. But do you realize the question that you're asking when you come to my office and we have that sort of somber conversation, the reason you're prompted to do that is a reason that prompts almost everyone. And that is your your concerns, you want to think about how other people estimate you. Maybe, functionally, the way that others estimate you, at least in your mind, what would give you contentment is if people thought about you in terms of your accomplishments, your successes, how great your family is, how great my children's successes are, or fit in whatever you want. I am confident that you will figure out how this works in your life, but my point is a rather simple one. You're not gonna find contentment in how much you possess, it is trying to put into the spot of an infinite void creation itself. You'll never have enough. And you will never find contentment in others' estimation of you because they will never, ever give you enough affirmation that your life was truly successful. Again, you're seeking the affirmation of others in the place of only one who is able to truly affirm. And I raise these things to you, sort of giving you some contrasts before I look at Anna with you. There's a very good reason I'm doing that. It's not because I want you to think about these things alone, but I want you to see how persistent the other options are to what Anna tells us tonight. As much as I might think to myself, I don't really care what other people think about me, that's a lie. And even though I know my contentment is not going to be found in the possessions that I have You will not believe tomorrow morning when I go out my garage and I work there on a project how satisfying that feels. But tonight Anna says that will never be enough. You'll never be content that way. In order to listen to Anna, I want to introduce you to her by telling you a few things that the Bible says about this prophetess Anna. I'm going to run through them. Listen to them. First, we are told that she is the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. These are two things that seem almost incidental, and they are in the Scriptures as far as we know. We don't know anything about Penuel. We don't know why the tribe of Asher mattered. It seems to me that the point Luke is simply making is that Anna is an Israelite. It's a way of saying that she had the right credentials to be able to speak as She does at the end of this section. Second, it says that she is a prophetess, and now that should draw your attention. Luke is telling us that she is worth listening to, that what she is saying comes from the Lord. In Jewish tradition, there were seven Old Testament prophetesses. They were all vessels for God's revelation. And this prophetess, intentionally noted by Luke as such, gives us revelation as well, specifically about the arrival of Jesus and what that means for her understanding of her reality. Third, and most curious of all, she's identified as a widow who's been a widow a long time and not to be offensive to anyone. Also, she is an old widow. <laughs> Maybe that seems a little impolite, but that's exactly the way that Luke puts it. She says she says was. He says that she is old, well-advanced in years. No getting around it, no reason to color-code it. Uh, color-code it? Sugar-code it. She's just plain old. And to emphasize that, he says that she had been married a long time before. To the best of my understanding, if I work the numbers correctly, she was probably married at the age of 13 or 14. As strange as that sounds today, that was common in Jewish culture at the time. She lived for seven years with her husband, she was about 20 years old. Early 20s, at the oldest when her husband died. By this time, she was probably 84, 85, you can do the math She had been widowed for 60-plus years. If that means anything to you tonight, if you're widowed, you know that brings with it tremendous amount of loneliness. If you've been widowed or if you've been divorced. Where there was somebody, there is no longer anyone there. If you've lost your husband or your wife, even if you're old, you go home and what do you see? The place where they used to be is there's no longer anyone there. Maybe that's going to be your experience at Christmas. An empty spot at the table where your loved one used to be. It would have been the assumption at this point that Anna would remarry, especially when she was widowed so early. Not only would she be lonely... But it would also mean that because she had no one to provide for her, she likely had no children as far as we know. Her husband died too early to leave her much to live on. So she was not only very lonely, she was also very poor. Why would she decide to remain single? Luke tells us because she wanted to spend all of her time in the temple worshiping God, praying, and fasting. That was her life. She was willing to give up comfort and security in order to serve God in the temple. Every day she was there. In this quick run-through with Anna, it does lead us to a fairly obvious question, and it's this, why do we have this record with these details about Anna in Luke chapter 2? A lot of time is given to Simeon, a little bit of time to Anna. Why does the Lord record this for us? Why are we thinking about this tonight in our Christmas celebration on December 17th? And my answer to you is that if you add up everything that Luke says about Anna, you will come to this conclusion. Here is a woman who is committed to waiting for the Lord and had dedicated her life to doing so and found great contentment in his arrival. That's what summarizes her life. Waiting for Jesus to come, spending her life looking for him, had led to an unusual level of contentment, and that's why the Spirit gives us this section. When you get to the very end of it, it just reads... That she gives thanksgiving and proclamation to everyone who would listen. You've got to know there were plenty of people in the temple, most likely. Her words were not just heard by Mary and Joseph. Everyone who heard, everyone who was there would have heard what she says. Both about Jesus as well as the thanksgiving and contentment that she had in him. Or if I can turn things around just a little bit, knowing Jesus... Knowing Jesus, my friend, is what brings contentment in the human heart. That's the point of this section. I want to press that to you tonight by fast-forwarding a number of books in the New Testament. If you'd fast-forward with me in the Bible to the book of Philippians in chapter 2. The Apostle Paul gives us a far more expansive explanation of the coming of Jesus. He says in chapter 2, listen to this, that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And in introducing that section, talking about the incarnation of Jesus, Paul says, and he did it because he did not look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. That's you in this story. That's what moved Jesus to come in humility in this world because he did not look out for his own interests. He was thinking of yours in Bethlehem as he was born, when he was brought to the temple to be dedicated, when he grew up in the home of Mary and Joseph, when he walked the dusty roads of Palestine, when he went to the cross, when he rose from the dead, he set aside the glories of heaven because he desired to serve You. Paul's explanation of Jesus' incarnation shows the absolute uniqueness of Jesus. There's no one else who can absolutely dedicate himself to come in your place. He came in humility in order to exalt us. That's what Paul says. A couple of chapters later in the same book, Paul, I believe building on chapter 2, And chapter 4 says that Paul himself has learned. Now you're wondering why I'm telling you about Luke 2, aren't you? Listen to, or not Luke 2, Philippians 2. Listen to Philippians 4. Paul building on chapter 2 about what he says about the incarnation of Jesus and what motivated Jesus to come. Paul says that he himself has learned In whatever state he is to be content, whether rich or poor, hungry or full, he has said, I have learned to be content. Now what difference does the incarnation of Jesus make in our contentment in this world? And Paul explains it to us. And I want you to hear this because I believe it's what Anna knew, and you should know too, lest you be duped into a sense of contentment in something less than Christ. The reason Paul says he is able to have such contentment, wait a minute, let me tell you the reason Anna will tell you that she has such great contentment is because she understands the greatness of Jesus. Let me put it this way, if you have a savior who has died, who has given himself totally for you, he has the ability to care for you like no one else. He's not looking to receive anything from you. It is not a bargain where you give something to Jesus and as long as it's worthwhile, he'll give you his grace back. No, the grace of the Scripture is rich and full and most importantly, free. He is asking you to rest upon him, not give him something first that he can give you something back. And if that is true, then Paul says, Jesus who laid aside the glories of heaven to come here to give himself fully for us means if we have a Savior who has given himself fully for us, you have absolute reason to rest and to trust in Him alone. No one else can do that. I don't care how wonderful your marriage is, how great your mom and dad are. You will never measure the incomparable ability of Jesus to provide for you. You'll never match it in anyone else. Do you hear that? And that is what Anna illustrates. Even though, I'm guessing, she did not fully understand that in the moment, when she saw the Jesus and when he was presented in the temple and she knew that this is the Redeemer, she was able to cry out after years of waiting and years of hardship and loneliness, if I have Jesus, then I have all that I ever need. And I can be content. Can you say that tonight? And it's suggesting that difficulties of life are not difficult, that pain is not pain, that sorrow is not sorrow. All these things are true. But if you know the incomparable love of Jesus Christ for you in the incarnation, then I would say it is not only possible, whether you are older or whether you are the youngest person here hearing my voice, you can say with the Apostle Paul, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content because Jesus humbled himself to come for me. And then you can also say with Anna, here is the Christ. Rejoice with me. Give thanks to God with me that Christ has come in the flesh for his people. That is the joyous message of Christmas given through an elderly woman to us tonight. Would you join me in prayer? Father, your word says that you accumulate these witnesses in Scripture, and you set them before us that we would know that in the lives of others who have come before us, the work of Jesus Christ has been a great work, and we rejoice in that tonight. We've been singing it, Lord. We've been singing it to the point that our throats might be hoarse And yet, Lord, we give you everything that our bodies can muster. Even if we think to ourselves, we're not really much of a singer, Lord, you delight in our praise. Because in the songs that we are singing, we are saying to you, God, we see that Jesus Christ is our only hope. That we can find peace in him and peace in him with you means the gift of Jesus Christ can bring genuine contentment in this life. Lord, I pray that every person who is here would know that kind of contentment, whether rich or poor, full or empty. Lord, may we know that contentment as your spirit gives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you jump to your feet and and sing with me, glory in the highest. After the benediction and exology, again, there's a meal in the back. There's been tons of food prepared, so please stick around and enjoy it. Not just the food, but each other. Part of the benefit of worship is we do it with each other. And so spending time eating, I always feel like, just continues that. Tonight, our blessing comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the apostle writes about the benefit of Jesus' coming. He says in that chapter, Therefore, my beloved... Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Go in the peace of the incarnate Son. Amen.